The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word. For through it, you give life, you give instruction, you give correction. And so we pray that as we meditate upon it for these few brief moments this morning, that you would do all of those things, that you would guide us, that you would save us, that you would sanctify us, that you would equip us for every good work, and that in the end, you would bring glory to your name. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. may be seated. If you would, uh, let's open our Bibles to Psalm 119, and we're just going to have a brief reading of Scripture this morning. Psalm 119, not the whole of that psalm, uh, but just verses uh, 9 through 16. So Psalm 119, uh, beginning in verse 9. So let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. As uh, we consider the topic of the Christian and technology, I suspect that uh, the book as in a physical book, is not something that we might consider as something being high-tech. But yet, if we look at it in the scope of recorded history, say some five, 6,000 years, the fact is is that the book, the mass-produced book, has only really existed for the last some 500 years. And so it's important that I think that we give attention to the invention of the book and ask how has that impacted uh, the Christian life. But not just the book, but also we should consider the e-book, even if it's only briefly. Because as we look at ordinary books, we might think, well, they don't seem to do much. Uh, They're somewhat passive. Uh, They only are useful if you can pick them up. Uh, In contrast to what we could say smart books or e-books these days, there seems to be a host of benefits that go along with them. They're highly portable. Uh, uh, You can search them through uh, your computer or through your phone. Or perhaps in some cases, uh, you can even uh, have the e-book read to you if you want it to, so that if you're in the car, you turn it on and you can listen to your book with all of those advantages to the ebook over uh, the regular book, why look back in the rearview mirror? Why consider these things? Let's just press on. Well, as we've noted in previous chapel addresses, as C.S. Lewis says, with every conquest of nature, there are both advances as well as retreats. And so we can certainly note the positive benefits of the book as well as the ebook, but what are the consequential negative things that have come about because of these inventions. 
Well, in order to do that, we just want to briefly reflect upon the invention of the book. Prior to the 16th century, we would say that books were very difficult to come by, if not impossible to come by for the average person. The way that people uh, recorded things were on clay tablets, perhaps, or maybe wax tablets. There were papyrus and animal skin scrolls that eventually replaced these tablets. But as you can imagine, they were expensive and not easily carted about. All you have to do is go to our uh, library to look at the 16th century Torah scroll that we have to see that it is not the most portable uh, thing. It is uh, quite large, quite heavy, and quite expensive. Well, eventually, codices, which we could say were the early predecessor to the book, uh, uh, superseded uh, the animal scrolls or the papyrus scrolls. And if you were wealthy, you might be able uh, to own a codex or several codices in your small library. But they were not for the masses. And so the way that people learned, the way that people studied in the Middle Ages is uh, that they would listen to lectures, perhaps, and take notes on their wax or clay tablets. Uh, They would then write down what they heard in their notebooks. They would write down what they heard in their notebooks, perhaps recording as much as they could recall from memory. They would then get a second notebook, and they would copy that same information, but they would organize it topically, or they would organize it in a different manner. So that by the time your average medieval monk uh, had uh, listened to a lecture, he had copied it perhaps once, maybe twice, maybe three different times and in three different ways. And what this had the effect of doing was enabling the average monk to memorize vast amounts of information. In fact, in my research, one of the things that I discovered is that they had recorded, uh, you know, that some scholars say in the 16th century were capable of memorizing in a mere 21 days Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. I mean, that's a massive amount of information, but memorizing it all in 21 days. It's said that Erasmus of Rotterdam, as a child, memorized the works of Horace and Terence. Church historians note that Ulrich Zwingli memorized the entire New Testament in Greek. Now, you might think, well, that's, that's pretty impressive, and perhaps that's an outlier. And I would say it's probably not as much of an outlier as we might think. Why is this the case? Well, because if you couldn't afford a book, uh, then the easiest way for you to carry about your library was up here. It was cheap, it was inexpensive, and it was highly and easily portable, okay? And so the invention of the book, however, I think eventually reduced the need to memorize because books were now readily available and, relatively speaking, cheap to purchase. And I regularly make this quip to my students, I cannot remember, Uh, it's probably written down somewhere in a book. And that's true. I suspect that's true for many of us. We say, why memorize all of this stuff when it's here in this handy book? All right. Well, when we pass into the digital age, we can say that the roughly hewn footpaths of wax and clay tablets 
uh, gave way uh, to the dirt road of the Codex, but once that the printing press invented, the dirt roads gave way to highways, but now with the internet, we have this massive eight-lane uh, superhighway with information moving at breakneck speed. We can search tens of thousands of books in a few minutes, but there are, I think, uh, consequential drawbacks to this vast amount of information that we have access to, the information that really kind of continually cascades down upon us. Recent research has demonstrated that digital reading has had a negative side effect on our ability to comprehend to comprehend longer passages that we might read or try to read in books. For example, in 2009, according to one study, uh, the average person was receiving 400 texts per month, which isn't necessarily maybe too bad, but that had quadrupled from levels in 2006. The average teenager in 2009 was receiving a staggering 2,200 texts per month, uh, I'm sure that since 2009, those numbers have only increased. They've only increased. And the idea is, is that as human beings, we're creatures of habit. What you're doing, whether you realize it or not, is when you read all of those texts, you're training your mind, you're wearing well-worn paths in your mind uh, to... Uh, pay attention to small, short bursts of information and nothing more. You know, the other day I was visiting with some folks who uh, drove through uh, the parts of Wyoming where there were the Oregon, the paths on the Oregon Trail, and that to this day there are ruts, there are ruts in the road uh, and in, in, the, in the countryside that are there almost permanently simply from the wagons passing over and that they endure to this day. Well, you are creating ruts in your mind with this regular flurry of short information, short texts, short tweets, and what have you. And this is especially, I think, also exacerbated with reading on the Internet. Sure, we can say that reading on the Internet has many benefits, but what scientists have discovered is that when you read a book, you use one part of your mind. But when you read the internet, because it has images, because it has videos, because it has hyperlinks, you are looking at a ton of other information and you are using many other parts of your brain. If you are suffering from Alzheimer's, it can be very positive for you to look at the internet because it's like doing a crossword puzzle because it's engaging so many parts of your mind. If you're trying to read a book, or trying to condition your mind for reading a long passage out of a book, reading the internet on a regular basis is one of the worst things that you can do. This is scientific research that out, that's out there. A second factor that we have to consider is that when you pick up a Bible, okay, just a standard, ordinary Bible, it has the ability, I believe, to capture your attention exclusively. When you open the pages of your Bible, you don't find tweets uh, descending uh, upon you. Uh, you don't find texts and emails popping up. You don't see necessarily hyperlinks. You could say that there are super slow links with the center column, right? Okay, so there are some, uh, some cross-references there. But what uh, Neil Postman, media ecologist, observed a generation ago 
He says, there is no way, now he's making these comments about the television, but I believe that they apply equally to the screens that we use today. He says, there is no way to consecrate the space in which a television show is experienced. There's no way to consecrate the space in which a television show is experienced. In other words, he was operating with the the world at the time when they said, hey, we should use the television as a tool for evangelism and promoting the gospel. He says, well, the television is an incredibly secular realm. And he doubted whether or not it could truly uh, uh, become a realm of the sacred because of so many other things that transpired on the television. He says the activities in one's living room or bedroom or, God help us, one's kitchen are usually the same, whether a religious program is being presented or the A-Team or Dallas is being presented. You can Google those TV shows. I highly recommend the A-Team. But he says the screen is so saturated with our memories of profane events, so deeply associated with the commercial and entertainment worlds that it is difficult for it to be recreated as a frame for sacred events. I think that those words are really important for us to think about. With everything else that comes through your phone, can you really truly consecrate that space and thus your mind for the task of reading scripture when all sorts of texts come across, the memories of texts come across, emails, perhaps information filled with gossip or things that would be inappropriate. Have you watched movies on your phone? Uh, And therefore, can you consecrate that space, the very same space that you've seen movies, can you then consecrate it for the sacred, uh, for God's word? Pornography. That's another thing. I mean, it shouldn't be on there, but is that something uh, that you see on a regular basis? Sometimes just because of the nature of the Internet, you click on a news website, and just off on the side, there's all kinds of images that you think, boy, I really shouldn't be looking at that. I wish they wouldn't put that on a news website. Can you consecrate that space? Well, beloved in Christ, these are some of the drawbacks. And if we are supposed to be a people of the book a people of the word of God, then we need to take account of these things. There are benefits to God's word. And being here in a highly portable format, you think about it, for thousands and thousands of years, the people of God could not simply pick up their copy of God's word and carry it with them. So read it daily, mark it, study it, highlight it. E-books have many benefits. Missionaries can now take you know, their entire library into the field, whereas before they might not have been able to do so. Uh, theologians and scholars and students can access rare manuscripts that were once completely out of reach of the ordinary person. You know, so there are many things and many benefits, but we need to be aware of the disadvantages. I'm not here to rail against the advanced technology of the book, But with the mass-produced book, I suspect that God's people have found less of a need to memorize God's word. Can I put this question to you very pointedly? When's the last time you memorized an extended passage from God's word? When's the last time that you memorized God's word? I know what you're going to say. I'm really busy. I've got to memorize paradigms. 
I got to memorize Greek and Hebrew. I got to memorize all kinds of facts for church history. Those are all good things. Those are all good things. But how will Christ's word abide in you, as he says in John 15, 7, unless you meditate upon God's word and memorize God's word? The psalmist writes in Psalm 37, verses 30 and 31, the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. Why? Because the law of God is on his heart. I was reading an account of a POW uh, who was shot down uh, and was, uh, spent time in a, a POW camp in Vietnam uh, during the Vietnam War. And he said that one of the things that kept him alive during his six years of nearly virtually uh, the entirety of that time in solitary confinement was recalling to mind Scripture. One verse came to mind, Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart. He said he and the other prisoners would exchange verses as frequently as they could so that they could build up their collective library of God's word. But he says one of the things that he regretted was that he had not committed more of God's word to memory. What happens if the phone goes dead? What happens if your Bible is not on hand? Could you minister to somebody in their moment of need? Could you recite God's word to them to bring them words of life? Again, same thing is in terms of all of the research that's gone on into the, in terms of the distraction. While I think it's possible to be able to benefit from your Bible app, I think that it is more easily done. It is better to read if you do it on a physical copy of God's Word that is dedicated exclusively to that purpose. Listen to this one passage from Niccolo Machiavelli. He describes... Uh, his routine in the evening. He says, When evening comes, I return home and go into my study. On the threshold, I strip off my muddy, sweaty workday clothes and put on the robes of court and palace. And in this graver dress, I enter the antique courts of the ancients and I am welcomed by them. And there I taste the food that alone is mine and for which I was born. And there I make bold to speak to them and to ask the motives of their actions. And they and their humanity reply to me, and for the space of four hours, I forget the world, remember no vexation, fear no poverty no more, tremble no more at death. I pass indeed into their world. That's the way that Machiavelli described reading. He stripped off his dirty clothes. He put on special clothes so that as he entered into the courts of the ancients, he could talk with them, dialogue with them, learn from them. It was a sacred task. If that's the way that Machiavelli describes talking to the ancients, how ought we to conduct ourselves in the presence of God and his word? Should we not strip off the cares and the concerns of the world, set aside all of the distractions, mentally fit our minds so that we are clothed, if you will, with an appropriate and due amount of attention? So that even if you do look at texts from time to time, that you could sit down for a long, sustained reading of God's word, say, for example, Psalm 119, and not be distracted a mere six or seven verses in and forget what it was that you were reading. This isn't impossible with an e-Bible. It's not impossible with an e-book, but I think it's certainly more difficult. Think about these things. Think about these things. When's the last time that you memorized God's word? Do 
Do you have a copy of God's word that is dedicated exclusively to that purpose so that you have that sacred space so that you can give God your undivided attention so that as the psalmist writes, you can write God's word upon your heart. Paul reminds us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we should always be prepared to interrogate the technology that comes into our lives to say, what are its benefits? What are its drawbacks? Be aware of how books and e-books shape your mind so that you can take the necessary steps to avoid the downside of their use. If we're a people of the book, then it behooves us to use them well. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for the blessings of technology, for the blessings of books and electronic books. But we ask, O Lord, that you would help us to use them well, that we would not take them for granted, but that we would not abuse them, that we would not allow the technology in our lives to erode our ability to concentrate and focus on your word, that we would have sacred space in our hearts and minds dedicated to your word, that you would enable us and encourage us to memorize your word. Even if it's only but a few small verses here and there, it will, grow, it will slowly grow into a significant library of your word that we can meditate upon, that we can call upon, and that we can use in times of need, as well as to be able to worship and praise you throughout the day as we so regularly ought. We pray, O Lord, that you would help us to study your word and to use it well, that you would equip us for every good work, and that you would also equip us, O Lord, to bring you praise. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.